Welcome to our continuing 2019 educational webinar series. I'm Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Jennifer Gimler-Brady, Partner and General Counsel at Potter, Anderson & Karoon, LLP. Jennifer is the immediate past chair of the firm's litigation group and former member of the firm's executive committee, on which she served for over a decade. She currently serves as the general counsel to the firm. Ms. Brady concentrates her practice in the area of health law, labor and employment law and commercial litigation. She regularly advises long-term care providers, physician practices and other healthcare providers on a variety of issues, including licensing and certification, fraud and abuse laws, medical privacy and confidentiality and litigation matters. Jennifer also counsels employers on labor and employment issues, including unionization and collective bargaining, employee super supervision, discipline and discharge, sexual harassment, and employment discrimination. Jennifer is a frequent lecturer on topics such as employment practices, fraud and abuse laws, long-term litigation and regulation, medical records confidentiality, compliance under HIPAA, and medical practice management, Recent speaking engagements include seminars on exclusions under federal health care programs, reasonable accommodations under Americans with Disabilities Act, business associate agreements under HIPAA, and hot topics for employers. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Your PACOM certificate will come directly from PACOM and your PMI certificate will come from our email. There is no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout is available with a button on the bottom right hand side of your screen. So Jennifer, a warm welcome, thank you. Thank you very much, Catherine. I appreciate uh, the introduction. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak with you all today regarding the role of boards in healthcare compliance. I uh, would preface my comments by saying that um, the, the most, and by that, I mean a majority of healthcare organizations are nonprofit forms, but there are certainly plenty of for profit organizations in the healthcare space um, for profit pharmaceutical companies, um, uh, different kinds of medical device and, and um, medical service providers. They can fall into the uh, for profit realm. Uh, but a lot of organizations like hospital systems and other types of providers. Uh, may be in the nonprofit um, space, but 
the comments that we're going to cover today regarding uh, boards duties, boards of directors or boards of trustees uh, and their duties in relation to managing and oversight of healthcare companies are similar regardless of whether you're talking about a nonprofit or a for-profit organization. So bear that in mind as we go through the uh, presentation today and uh, where there might be subtle differences or, or less than subtle differences, I, I will try to point them out, but uh, I just wanted folks to understand that going through the, the comments. Um, I would also say that uh, to some extent you might hear boards of directors. That is often a very uh, common parlance in the for-profit space for for-profit or organizations versus a board of trustees, um, which is a, uh, a common term for nonprofit organizations. But they really um, can be used interchangeably, and I can certainly point you to for-profit organizations or, or nonprofit organizations that refer to their their um, uh, organizational uh, boards as uh, boards of directors. So. Uh, just bear that in mind. But I have on the screen now a um, table of contents, if you will, for this uh, presentation today. We're going to talk um, a little bit about the role of uh, nonprofit boards or boards generally. And we're going to cover the duties of trustees, the liability of trustees, the rights that trustees have in relation to the organization and their oversight responsibilities. We're then going to talk uh, specifically about the role of boards in healthcare compliance. And then we'll end uh, the presentation with a compliance hypothetical that hopefully will take everything that we've uh, learned and discussed this morning and apply it to a fact pattern. So why don't we get underway? So in relation to the uh, role of nonprofit boards, the, the proper role of a board is to manage and direct and oversee the affairs of a corporation or an organization. And if, if you'll notice that the operations of, of a board versus the operations of senior management are are interrelated but different functions. A board, um, I, probably the, the most important term in that definition or that, or that description is oversight or oversee the affairs of the organization. Management, your senior management team is charged with the day-to-day -day responsibility for running the organization but the board is charged with overseeing the affairs of the organization and making sure that it is being run consistently with the, the mission or purpose of the organization. A board functions as a decision-making body and trustees um, ordinarily have the power to act um, on behalf of, of the board or the organization, and that's trustees as a, as a group, as a whole. But it's not um, unusual, particularly in a nonprofit uh, uh, realm, for trustees to sometimes take a more active role or direct role, role in, in certain aspects of the day-to-day -day affairs of the corporation. That may be due to the size of the organization and it being fairly limited in, in terms of staffing. And so 
board members may bring particular expertise to an organization that lends itself well to operational functions. Uh, a couple of things that come to mind might be um, the accounting or financial um, operations of an organization, marketing functions, personnel functions. Boards often have members who have particular expertise in those areas and others, property maintenance and facilities, things like that. And often, particularly in a nonprofit realm, uh, board members will lend that expertise to um, the day-to-day -day operations of the organization. But in general, organizations want to have um, divisions or boundaries, if you will, between the oversight function of the organization, which is the province of the board, and the day-to-day -day operations of an organization, which are the, the province of um, the senior management team. And again, if you think about it logically, having the oversight responsibility for the organization lodged with the board, um, it's helpful to have some distance and perspective from the management responsibility of the day-to-day -day operations so that as a board, you can uh, assess those operations and whether the organization is being run effectively on a day-to-day -day basis. So what are some of the typical responsibilities of boards? And again, I, I couch this in terms of nonprofit boards, but many of these concepts apply equally to for-profit boards. Um, and, and probably the overarching uh, responsibility of a board is to establish a mission and organizational values and ensure that these are um, approved and by the board and followed by the organization. That means management, employees, and volunteers. You set the tone for the organization. And not every board is going to establish the mission. Many organizations exist for for many years um, and have a long established mission. And in those organizations, the board is there to make sure that the organization aligns with that mission. Or if the mission has changed over time, that the mission is, is adapted to uh, the, the present day and that the organization is, is following that revised mission as well. Um, the board often uh, will approve significant policies and policy changes, not necessarily the day-to-day -day policies like parking policies or um, uh, reimbursement policies for basic business expenses, things like that. We're talking about uh, high-level institutional policies, perhaps uh, non-discrimination policies, codes of conduct, uh, things like that where, again, you're really kind of setting some basic parameters for how this organization is going to be run and the values that this organization has. Um, so you'll see board approvals of policies at that level. Boards act as stewards of the organization's human and financial resources. Um, that is part of the fiduciary duty. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, board members' duties to the organizations uh, uh, that they are serving. But 
with regard to stewards, again, that doesn't mean that boards are approving the day-to-day um, uh, financial operations of the organization, but they are aware of the financial standing of the organization. They're making sure that resources are being used appropriately and consistently with the mission of the organization. And they're also making sure that the employees of the organization are being treated appropriately, that they're compensated fairly. So boards have roles in determining compensation policy um, and that the um, uh, structure of the organization is such that employees are treated fairly, consistently, non-discriminatorily, um, and, and that they are um, essentially treated well. Um, boards also look at the um, uh, where you have investments. Uh, you may have organizations with endowments or other investment accounts. They are the board is charged with making sure that uh, resources are appropriately invested and are applied to fulfilling the mission um, of the organization. And as I note here, they're also responsible for making sure that new resources are developed, i.e. fundraising. In the nonprofit space, one of the fundamental responsibilities of the board is um, to oversee the um, fundraising uh, on behalf of the organization to make sure that their, the organization is as well positioned as it can be financially uh, and is sustainable, that its operations are sustainable and that it has a, a stable and sustainable financial model. Um, one of the topics, uh, the main topic for today's discussion is the board's responsibility for ensuring compliance. Um, and there are lots of different ways that that uh, responsibility can come into play in an organization and that boards can fulfill their uh, responsibilities. One aspect of compliance for a board is to, making, to make sure that it is familiar with the organizational documents of the corporation and understands the trustees' uh, fiduciary duties with respect to the organization. By organizational documents, I mean charter, bylaws, uh, other uh, mission statements, other uh, key documents of the organization, and that the tr uh, trustees understand their fiduciary responsibilities uh, in relation to the organization. Uh, another important plan, uh, part of a uh, board's function is long-range plans. You'll often hear that boards focus on strategic while the senior management focuses on operational. Um, strategic means exactly what it says. Where are we now? Where do we want to go? And how do we get there at a high level? That is uh, a very typical board function to be involved with long-term strategic planning on behalf of an organization. Um, the, a board will also approve significant changes to the structure of the organization and any kind of technological innovation or utilization that can affect the corporation's ability to fulfill its mission. So um, those, uh, if you look back in healthcare organizations, say 20 years ago, the um, technological advances 
and, um, and uh, uh, basically integration into healthcare operations have been astounding. And with those technological advances, uh, one thing that comes to mind is electronic medical records and how many organizations have, have really gone completely um, paperless. But with that comes expense. Uh, to support, to, to adopt and support those technological systems that allow you to have that electronic medical record, but then uh, also all of the security, data security issues that go along with it, and then the expense that goes along with both of those functions. So those are um, significant investments of healthcare organizations, and the board is charged with understanding um, how the technology uh, plays the role that technology plays in the organization as well as the um, um, uh, expense and uh, maintenance of those types of operations. And um, the board will also develop strategies and approve proposals for significant relationships. Um, if the organization is um, uh, doing an affiliation, for example, or perhaps merging or acquiring another uh, provider, those kinds of, of really game-changing types of relationships and proposals, those all fall within the province of the board as well. So here are some additional responsibilities, which I would call more a little more of the day-to-day nitty-gritty work of a board. Uh, uh, they would include approving the annual operating budget, overseeing compliance and financial integrity. Uh, many boards, uh, for-profit and non-profit, have audit committees and finance committees. Uh, and compliance committees, all of which are devoted to ensuring that the organization is compliant with uh, the regulatory provisions that may impact or apply to its business, the, uh, to the business of the corporation or entity, as well as the financial integrity uh, requirements that the accounting rules are, fo uh, are followed, that financial disclosures are appropriate and accurate. Uh, and uh, so that's a, a very important function of the board. And again, uh, consistent with its compliance responsibilities. Um, the boards will establish in, uh, internal control procedures and review compliance with such procedures. One of the things you're going to hear about consistently this morning is a board's compliance function is not just specific to making sure that procedures are in place. There's a follow-up responsibility and that is ensuring that the procedures are being followed and if procedures need to change or adapt to the organization uh, to changes in the organization that the board is ensuring that those procedures change with the organization it has to be a, a dynamic compliance responsibility not a static one it's not a checklist approach where a board can say okay we have a policy for this we have a policy for that and then consider their job done that uh, oversight function that we talked about at the beginning of the presentation um, is fundamental and it involves not just making sure you have the right things in place but making sure that those things are working and working as intended. Uh, boards will select outside independent auditors to kick the tires, if you will, on the financial operations of the organization and make sure that the organization is um, uh, financially sound and is following uh, sound financial policy and um, 
uh, and uh, controls, and they do that uh, by um, engaging an independent auditor to report to the board uh, and to audit the functions of the operation and to report to the board. Um, as we've talked about reviewing technology plans uh, and significant transactions and contracts. Also, uh, boards um, are involved in the oversight of uh, an election and removal of officers of the corporation. Those are important functions. Uh, boards are very involved in retaining uh, and re recruiting and retaining the senior leadership of the organization. Um, that, that function can't be uh, uh, underemphasized, uh, shouldn't be underemphasized because that's a uh, that you're picking the leadership of the of the organization and the person that is going to be uh, moving the organization forward so it's a very important uh, board responsibility and uh, one of the oversight functions is to periodically review your corporate di documents and organizational policies to ensure that they remain compliant, that they're up to speed, and that they are completely consistent with um, applicable laws and governance best practices. Um, so again, it's not just doing things as we've always done them or business as, as usual. The compliance function, it requires you to review periodically and update. Particular duties of trustees. Uh, we'll cover some at, at, uh, at a high level. I'm emphasizing Delaware law for a couple of reasons. One, um, I'm a Delaware lawyer. Um, and uh, barred and, and licensed in Delaware, uh, but also because so many organizations are incorporated under Delaware law, and uh, it's likely consistent with laws of other states, the, co the corporate laws of other states, but I have focused um, uh, on and highlighted some aspects of Delaware law um, uh, on um, corporate governance issues. So trustees of a healthcare operation or really any operation are charged with fiduciary duties, duty of care and duty of loyalty, which includes an obligation to act in good faith. And in, in addition to traditional fiduciary duties, the, member, uh, the members of a governing body of a, a nonprofit also have a special duty to advance the charitable goals of the corporation and protect its assets. Um, that's essentially a, a longer way of saying um, that nonprofit directors owe a special duty to advance the mission of the organization and ensure that the organization's assets are applied to its charitable purpose. Whereas in contrast, for-profit boards are focused on maximizing shareholder value. And our court uh, in Delaware has emphasized that fiduciary duty does not operate intermittently, but is the constant compass by which all trustee action for the corporation must be guided. And, uh, you know, another way of saying that is the board, the trustees should put their duty to the organization of, ahead of any uh, personal interest or interest that's not aligned with the organization. A little more information on the duty of care, uh, some general standards. Um, the duty of care focuses on the process, how decisions are made. 
and it requires trustees to apply the same kind of care and prudence in managing the, the affairs in the business of the organization as they would apply to their own, managing their own affairs. The point that I think is so consistent with today's discussion about compliance is this third bullet point, that trustees must inform themselves of all reasonable, reasonably available information that is material to their decision. That is consistent with an obligation, as I mentioned, not to just do things uh, business as usual, but to kick the tires, to ask questions, to be informed, including getting information from outside of the organization so that you can be informed about what's going on in the world around you, particularly in the healthcare space, uh, what important things are impacting the business of the organization and what other options are available. Um, trustees have an obligation to uh, seek additional information and not just accept information from senior leadership when they're asked to make very significant decisions that affect the operations of the organization. And we'll see that in play um, going forward a bit in the discussion. Trustees need to take sufficient time to deliberate regarding their decisions um, so that they're making um, well-informed, well thought out, uh, appropriate decisions. And again, making sure that they've uh, kicked the tires, they've asked questions of their management team, of their advisors, and they've had a chance to talk among themselves. As I mentioned uh, earlier, boards typically are comprised of folks that have particular expertise or interest in an organization. It may not be that they are healthcare, uh, uh, they're steeped in healthcare, they could, be, they could be steeped in commercial real estate or in, uh, in the, the business of law, or they are um, financial advisors, or they are property managers. Um, typically, boards try to be as diverse as possible um, so that that expertise is available among the board members so that when issues come up, I as a lawyer may not be particularly well suited to asking hard questions about financial records of the organization, but if you have financial advisors, investment bankers, accountants uh, on your board, one would expect that maybe they could really let, help guide the discussion and share their knowledge and expertise with other members of the board so that the board, when the time comes to make a decision, is able to make a very well-informed, um, uh, well-balanced decision on behalf of the organization. Delaware law applies a gross negligence standard in determining whether um, a business decision by the board was sufficiently informed to satisfy the trustee's duty of care. It's a, it, that's a pretty deferential standard to the board, but boards can't 
um, assume that um, they're always going to uh, their the, the the wisdom of their decisions is always going to be um, deferred to or accepted. It's important that the record of the decision making process. Uh, clearly establish that the boards made a well-informed, well-deliberated, appropriate decision for the organization. The duty of loyalty essentially requires trustees to put the best interests of the organization that they serve ahead of their own. Um, it's implicated if anytime there's a, a, a material conflict of interest or a board member is not independent from somebody who has a conflict of interest uh, with respect to the matter under consideration. Uh, for example, um, if the, and I, I'll use the example of a lawyer sitting on the board, if the organization needs legal services and the law, the, the uh, lawyer board member's firm is counsel to the organization, it may be advisable for the attorney board member to uh, stay out of or recuse himself or herself from discussions relating to the retention of the law firm uh, because they have an obvious financial interest um, as an employee or partner in the law firm um, in, in relation to business um, from the corporate organization. So um, staying out of that and recusing oneself um, is advisable because that's could be a, a conflict of interest. Um, and, and boards shouldn't um, assume that a conflict doesn't exist just because a trustee doesn't get any direct money or tangible benefit from a transaction. There's still other ways non-monetarily that somebody could be advantaged by a particular transaction. So the, the duty of loyalty really boils down to expecting trustees to, to conduct themselves uh, scrupulously and put the organization's interests ahead of their own. And within the duty of loyalty is the duty to act in good faith. And that just means that the, the trustee is acting and motivated to act on behalf of the organization in honestly and not in a way that is knowingly unlawful. The duty of obedience um, flows through to nonprofit boards of directors, and that's essentially your reflective of your duty to advance the corporation's mission, the nonprofit organization's miss mission, and protect its assets to ensure that they are devoted to furthering the mission of the organization. So what are some of the oversight obligations of a board? Um, there are those fiduciary duties that we've, co we've covered. They give rights, uh, rise to oversight obligations that require trustees to make sure that policies and procedures are in place to ensure that the organization is complying with legal, regulatory, and financial requirements. Under Delaware's law, um, the for a trustee to be liable for breach of oversight duties and oversight responsibilities, um, you you really have to show that there is a complete failure by trustees to implement 
any reporting or information systems or controls or and this is perhaps the worst situation where you have a system of controls but there's a conscious failure to monitor or oversee the operations that basically prevents the trustees from being informed of things that require the trustees attention so as I mentioned earlier, it's not a static process, um, particularly with regard to, to compliance and in oversight. Uh, you can have systems in place, but if you're not monitoring those systems and learning uh, from those systems in terms of what they are, the information that they're revealing to you and whether or not they're potentially revealing a problem that requires a trustee's attention, if you're not doing that, you might as well not have any system of controls in place because it is um, uh, not effective and it nor is it compliant to have systems but not uh, make sure that those systems are working as intended and uh, I have included this this quote which I think is very uh, very helpful from a Delaware case Stone versus Ritter where trustees fail to act in the face of a known duty to act thereby demonstrating a conscious disregard for their responsibilities they breach the duty of loyalty by failing to discharge their fiduciary that fiduciary obligation in good faith that sums it up I think fairly uh, fairly concisely So again, with some some practical uh, guidance for um, the oversight responsibilities of, of trustees, trustees are expected to establish appropriate oversight and controls at the board level to be sure that the organization is complying with all applicable legal and regulatory requirements and to be vigilant in monitoring the or, uh, organization's operations and ensuring the effectiveness of its audit and compliance functions. You can't just have committees that are charged with these responsibilities, but they're not doing what they should be doing. It is, as you, you know, uh, when we talk about some compliance situations or more appropriately situations where organizations have not done what they should have done um, in relation to compliance and they've gotten themselves sideways with, say, a federal regulator, um, one of the remedies for um, a, a violation, say, for example, fraudulent billing, or um, you know, major um, uh, security breaches. One of the potential remedies that regulators have at their disposal is a corporate integrity agreement, which they would require the organization to enter into as part of a resolution of the, um, the incident, if you will, or, or the situation. Those types of agreements, other often referred to as CIAs, typically include board level action requirements. Um, they may impose training responsibilities on the board. They may impose certain specific actions on the on behalf of the board that the board takes certain actions, perhaps um, uh, require um, the adoption of particular committees or policies. Those are situations where essentially um, a, an organization's um, 
board has failed in its compliance function, or at least a government uh, regulator feels that it has failed in its compliance responsibility, so they're going to impose them on the board through a, a, a CIA. And um, again, that's reflective of the, the government's view as well of the importance of the oversight responsibility of boards of directors. And you can't um, overstate the importance of that oversight responsibility with regard to highly regulated businesses like healthcare. Um, healthcare operations have um, uh, many, many moving parts to them. They are highly regulated and they offer the opportunity for many missteps. Uh, billing and documentation requirements for Medicare and other payers, uh, huge um, area of exposure for healthcare operations because of the potential applicability of the overpayment rules and the False Claims Act and the anti-kickback statutes and the Stark uh, anti-referral um, self-referral laws. There are they are particularly vulnerable areas um, in, in terms of billing and payment for healthcare operations. Procedures for handling controlled substances increasingly in this era of the uh, opioid epidemic, um, how organizations are handling controlled substances and accounting for them, another area of, of, uh, of vulnerability for uh, healthcare organizations. Professional licensing for staff as well as entity level licensing. Um, lots, of, lots of issues can uh, happen if you're not um, ensuring that your staff are appropriately licensed and that the entity is appropriately licensed. If licenses lapse, if they don't get renewed and you have providers um, providing services and then billing for those services um, to certain healthcare um, uh, payers, uh, particularly federal uh, government payers, Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, uh, you could be looking at significant uh, penalties because services should be provided by licensed staff. And the government could take the position that because the, the uh, license lapsed, that those services provided by that staff, staff member were not appropriate and should not have been billed for. And sometimes license lapses um, it can go over significant periods of time. And if you have, uh, say, a nurse or a physician that um, inadvertently didn't renew his or her license and was providing services to multiple residents over, or, or patients over multiple days, you could easily see how any billing for those services directly or indirectly part of perhaps a, um, a, uh, a, um, um, a set price for a service, but there's still a service provider in that, in that packaged service, if you will, that could completely invalidate that billing. So it's a huge potential exposure uh, for organizations to ensure that, that licensing is up to speed and, and up to date. And of course, the one that, that 
comes to um, uh, the forefront frequently is compliance with the HIPAA uh, privacy and security regulations and other applicable data security requirements. The, this is perhaps one of the most active areas of, uh, of exposure and liability as well as enforcement activity um, for healthcare organizations. So this is a, a huge uh, issue um, and, and oversight responsibility for boards. And boards should also be aware of claims that the organization may be vulnerable um, to based on what's happening in other um, enforcement actions or in, in private litigation against similar organizations. So uh, it's not unusual for enforcement trends to target, say, particular industries. So if you are um, in the nursing home business, for example, there may be a particular focus on a particular type of issue in nursing homes, maybe too many falls, maybe uh, dehydration, maybe medication errors and you will see trends emerge uh, on a enforcement activity and private litigation. As a board member you need to be aware of those kinds of things so you can help uh, your organization determine whether it has a sim similar problem potentially or hopefully just make sure that it is as well positioned as possible to defend itself should it be the subject of, of that type of claim. Other types of things that, that may run along an industry would be um, either false claims um, type enforcement. Um, there are multiple cases right now um, relating to opioid prescribing and um, uh, misrepresenting Representations um, by the the alleged misrepresentations, I should say, by the the pharmaceutical industry about the um, uh, potential addictive nature of uh, particular uh, medications. Those are trends that, if you're in those businesses, your boards need to be aware that they're happening and and kick the tires on your own organization to see whether you may be vulnerable or whether your practices are such that you are well positioned to defend yourself if those types of claims would, would come your way. What are some of the rights of trustees as well? So we've talked a lot about your oversight responsibilities and the obligations that are on individuals as trustees. And now we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what your rights are to help you. These are things that help you do your job as a trustee. And uh, first and foremost, trustees are entitled to receive information that will help them fulfill their duties, including evaluating matters that they're being asked to approve and fulfilling their, their duty of oversight. So employees are not only entitled to request information from the organization, from the management functions of the organization, but they are obligated to do that. So again, that they can ensure that they are they're not just um, listening to reports periodically from senior management, but they're also testing um, those reports and making sure that they have all of the correct information at their disposal. 
They, uh, board members have a right to copies of all minutes of the, the full board meetings as well as committee uh, committees of the board. I would say that that's a, a, also a very important function and responsibility of board members to review those committee reports. A lot of actions, a lot of the work of a board um, occurs at the committee level so that if you are not a member of a particular committee, you're going to want to at least familiarize yourself with what that those committees are doing so you're aware of that that work of the board as well because you're charged with knowledge of what those committees are doing as well. Um, uh, trustees have a right to inspect the books and records of the organization um, uh, for a proper purpose and it's one, a proper purpose excuse me, purpose is really anything that's reasonably related to a um, trustee's position as a trustees. Trustees are entitled to notice of meetings of the board. Um, how those meetings are set are typically addressed in the bylaw, bylaws of the organization or um, other uh, meeting schedules um, that, that are other um, meeting guidance that that sets how frequently and, and when and where a board um, should meet. And they typically provide notice and uh, explanation of how a special meeting is called and when un, under what circumstances a special meeting may be required. Um, and if notice isn't properly provided, uh, trustees have the right to object um, to the holding of such meeting um, because it could uh, it impact their ability to participate uh, or participate fully. And trustees have the right to vote against matters um, put to a vote of the board and have their dissent noted in the minutes of the meeting. It's important as we talk about the compliance responsibility or the compliance function of the board to talk a little bit about the liability exposure of trustees. and. Trustees may be liable to different constituencies. They could be liable to the corporation itself, the members of the corporation, and the constituencies served by the corporation if they don't fulfill their duties and obligations to the corporation. And even if trustees aren't liable, the corporation could still be liable for violations of law, um, uh, such as you know, breach of contract or tort, or failure to comply with tax obligations or employment laws. Um, it could be liable for negligent acts or omissions um, by volunteers or employees under the doctrine of respondeat superior. And trustees are obligated to make sure that they're aware of the potential liabilities of the organization and take steps to implement oversight procedures that are designed to limit such claims. So the bottom line is while an, an employee or a trustee may not be individually liable, the corporation could still be liable for non-compliance that results in harm in some way. And it ultimately could be due to the fact that the board wasn't as um, uh, attentive to its compliance responsibilities as it should have been. Uh, just a note about Delaware law does provide um, the opportunity for organizations to limit personal liability of uh, trustees for monetary um, damages for breaches of fiduciary duty. However, 
liability cannot be limited in any instance of a breach of the duty of loyalty, i.e. in situations where the trustee may have put the trustee's interest ahead of the organization or acts or remissions that are not in good faith and intentional misconduct uh, or a knowing violation of the law and any transaction in which a trustee derives an improper personal benefit. Those are instances where trustees cannot be insulated from liability, from personal liability. So let's talk about the, the compliance function. We've touched on a few areas of uh, compliance at a higher level, but here I, I, we want to drill down a little bit and talk about the compliance function of the board in, in a little bit more detail. So what is compliance? Um, it essentially promotes the prevention, detection, and resolution of actions, actions that don't conform to legal policy or business standards. It is the function of ensuring that the organization runs the business consistently with the law or regulations or other business requirements that are applicable to that organization. The board role or function um, in the compliance area can be advanced by a few things. One, the board uh, either forms or enforces or follows a clear mission statement for the organization. We know what this organization is, is about. We know what it's not about. We know what the organization is charged with doing or delivering. And when it, when it uh, strays from that mission, the board should rein it back in. The board's function is uh, a compliance function also involves carefully selecting and supervising your outside advisors. Boards can't know everything. I mentioned that boards try to be as diverse as possible in their um, how they're structured and the expertise of the individual trustees, but often organizations can't possibly cover or have represented on the board all of the areas of advice that the board may need to ensure that it's uh, following and, and uh, implementing its compliance responsibilities to the, the most effective extent. So there's a, there's a need to engage outside advisors, and the, that's the board doesn't want to do that lightly. It wants to make sure that it carefully vets the outside advisors that it engages and it ensures that they really are the appropriate um, uh, advisors for the task at hand. Um, boards should also be careful about observing corporate formalities, um, it, it, which are just as important for nonprofits as they are for for-profit organizations. Um, when you, I, I think there's a general theme that if you're not minding the basics of the store, um, you may be um, uh, really not minding bigger issue uh, problems, kind of bet the company issues. So you want to see organizations that elect trustees properly and in a timely manner, that they keep the formalities of, of acting at meetings of the board and not, at formal meetings of the board and not kind of on an ad hoc basis, that they keep minutes and, and records appropriately, that they um, delegate functions to committees that um, uh, are appropriately comprised and don't have folks who are non-trustees. And I say that 
um, it, with a caveat, many board committees of organizations have members that um, for lack of a better term, are co-opt. They may not be full board members, but they have particular expertise. So it's not um, uh, completely inappropriate to have a board function um, uh, delegated to a committee that would include people who are not trustees, but it can't be a full delegation to a committee that's comprised solely of non-trustees. That would not be a good corporate form to follow. And failure to comply with statutes and, and organizational documents, also not a good sign. These are very basic functions of a board um, and, and one would uh, typically want to see that a board is following those responsibilities, those basic responsibilities. Um, another important aspect of compliance uh, for a board is to uh, make sure that there are formal lines of reporting, uh, potential compliance problems, not just to superior officers or your senior management team, but directly to the board. And to have an effective compliance program, an organization should have a compliance officer, a culture of compliance, and oversight of the compliance program by the governing board. One of the ways the board can uh, execute that oversight is to have a reporting uh, function or a line of reporting available to the board so that if, for example, there was a concern that senior management was engaging in improper billing, um, for to to uh, you know to maximize the revenues of the organization, you want to have some mechanism in place for that information to be reported directly through the to the board, perhaps through a compliance officer or directly, um, so that the um, uh, somebody who was concerned, a potential whistleblower, could make that uh, make the board informed of that that situation in time to give the board an opportunity to investigate and act. Um, it's really important, as we've emphasized uh, already, that boards inform themselves and stay up to date on really ever-changing requirements that may impact an organization. And this is particularly important in healthcare organizations because the, the state of play for healthcare organizations can change so quickly and, and so rapidly um, that it's essential that boards stay up to date. And how can they do that? If you are a member of a board and you're not a healthcare, um, uh, you, you don't work in the healthcare space in your in your day-to-day -day, uh, position, how can you learn everything that you really need to know to be an effective board member? Um, you can do periodic updates from staff during regular meetings. You can have presentations by outside advisors. What's new? What's important? What should I be aware of as a, as a trustee of a healthcare organization? You want to make sure that you do recruit knowledgeable board members so that you have some expertise available to you. Um, attending outside training programs is a great way for trustees to really um, inform themselves of the realities of, of the um, what's going on in, in their particular industry or in healthcare generally. And the overarching goal is to make sure you understand the business climate and have enough knowledge 
to know what questions to ask so that you can ensure that you're making the best decisions possible, the best informed decisions, and you're identifying areas of particular risk. If the organization is dealing with federal health care programs, I strongly recommend the uh, organization be in, in the board um, read the practical guidance for healthcare um, governing boards on compliance oversight from the um, uh, uh, inspector general, the, the federal inspector general. It's a wealth of information about the compliance function of healthcare boards. Um, one big theme, and as I mentioned earlier, about you also see it in corporate integrity agreements um, when companies have have uh, uh, gotten sideways with federal regulators. Um, there's a big emphasis on training. There's a big emphasis on the practical in the practical guidance and in CIAs about training of the board members to address the responsibilities uh, regarding co corporate governance and review and oversight of the organization's compliance plan. That training should include the unique responsibilities of healthcare board members, including risks, oversight areas, and strategic approaches to conducting uh, oversight of the healthcare entity and also um, emphasize the role of the board in setting the tone for the organization as one that promotes integrity and ethical conduct. Board members should understand that they are expected to walk the walk or model the behavior um, as and serve as examples of, of compliant and ethical behavior. So we're going to wrap up with a hypothetical and that, that covers um, some of the points that we've talked about in a in a real world uh, situation. Names have uh, been changed to protect the innocent. Uh, so here we have a, a compliance hypothetical with ABC Healthcare. It's a large metropolitan healthcare system. It has, it's aware of HIPAA. It has a, a policy and program for HIPAA compliance. It has notices of privacy practices and security procedures. And back in 2016, it engaged an IT consultant to audit its um, processes, its technology processes for handling protected health information. Very common. It's part of an organization's um, ongoing efforts to um, look for risks, look for uh, vulnerabilities. So they hire an IT consultant. IT consultant does the, the uh, audit and identifies multiple recommendations, including that ABC um, encrypt its laptops. These laptops are used by healthcare providers to um, document in the healthcare system's electronic medical record. And um, at that point, the auditor found or the consultant found that many of the laptops were not encrypted. And their report, the IT consultant's report and recommendations went to the senior management team of the organization as well as the audit committee of the board. In the fall of 2018, so fast forward two years, an ABC physician had his laptop stolen from his car. The laptop was not encrypted and it provided a gateway to the protected health information of more than 25,000 patients, including such um, identifying information as names, addresses, birth dates, social security numbers, uh, medical record account numbers, uh, etc. 
So does ABC's board bear any responsibility or potential liability for the breach? And I think the answer to that question is going to be, it depends, and it depends on more facts. If you have a record that shows that the board took that report from the IT consultant, studied it, convened um, uh, senior management and the IT function and wanted to understand uh, what the issues were, the action plan for addressing those issues, and uh, essentially did a decent job of informing itself and trying to ensure that the organization um, uh, addressed those risk, um, those, those gaps, if you will, um, then the board is probably pretty well positioned uh, to say that it, it functioned well and that it, it uh, executed on its compliance and, and oversight responsibilities. If that didn't happen, if the board just kind of went, oh, here's some vulnerabilities and we'll, we'll talk about it at some point, um, you could see a situation where the board may have some responsibility uh, for not following through, for not ensuring that the organization addressed those um, uh, risks that had been identified for the very issue of, um, that actually occurred. Those issue, those risks were identified for the potential exposure or in a, improper access to protected healthcare information, and that is exactly what ultimately happened in this case. So, what are the potential exposures? Um, there have been a number of, of data breach cases um, that you all have heard of. Um, you had Target, Experian, Yahoo, where millions of individuals' uh, records um, were uh, improperly accessed. And so, and not surprisingly, there's been a fair amount of litigation that spins off from those actions or those incidents, including um, breaches of fiduciary duty claims, invasion of privacy, negligence, breach of implied contract, and violation of various state and federal statutes on uh, data protection, HIPAA, and, and state counterparts um, to some extent, or just data security statutes generally that aren't specific or limited to healthcare operations. In the for-profit context, um, you could face a shareholder derivative action um, that, as a trustee uh, or, or director or an officer. In the 1996 Caremark decision, the Delaware Chancery Court declared that in such actions, directors can be personally liable for failure to appropriately monitor and supervise the organization or the enterprise. Directors and officers should be very wary of demonstrating a conscious disregard for their duties or ignoring red flags because doing so can result in a director being held personally liable for a corporation's losses. And depending on the additional facts or the lack of additional facts in this hypothetical, you could easily see a case being made that directors did not uh, follow up on red flags that were identified by the IT consultant. 
So steps that a, a board could take to protect the organization in this kind of a context with data security, hire the right people, make sure you have a security officer and engage the appropriate technical experts to do risk assessments and educate officers and board members on data security, on uh, data security risks and the best way to mitigate those risks. You may want to have a board committee that's focused exclusively on data security, and you'll see this more and more because data security issues are increasingly an area of exposure for organizations, significant exposure. Um, you want to regularly address and deliberate when deciding issues of data security and carefully document those deliberations to demonstrate appropriate care. That falls back to my additional facts information. If, in fact, the board took that report, studied the IT consultant's report, and put into place steps to designed to encourage senior management to address those, those risks, then they probably are going to be in a good position to demonstrate that they exercised appropriate care care. Training, you cannot underestimate the, uh, the, the value of training and ensuring that it's ongoing and regular because data security issues are evolving all the time. So conducting a data training session, a, a training session on data security two years ago probably isn't enough to show that the organization is trying to stay up to speed and stay ahead of that issue. Um, we've mentioned about ensuring their pathways for reporting concerns directly to the board, adopting a security plan that is tailored to the specific risks that your organization faces, and underscoring the last point, follow up, following up to ensure that identified risks have been addressed. You can't just say, I'm washing my hands of it and I've put it on somebody's desk. You need to make sure that's, that there's follow through and, and that the, the problems have been addressed. So I um, would be happy to entertain any questions uh, about the uh, uh, compliance function of a board. Thank you so much, Jennifer. That's very, very informative. I really appreciate that. We do have a few questions. So um, let me give you the first one here. So what are some of the biggest risk areas for healthcare organizations and what role does the board play with regard to those risks? Well, a great question. And I think, you know, we, we talked about a couple of them. Um, and I, I would say today that the biggest risks for healthcare organizations would be in the area of data security and in the area of billing billing compliance um, because there are so many ways on the billing side that organizations can um, uh, get into trouble, some intentional, uh, but often completely unintentional. The, anybody who's involved with healthcare billing knows how completely uh, complex and challenging it can be to make sure you pick the right codes and the right, um, the right number of, of um, um, units. Um, so the possibility of errors uh, is, is pretty significant. And that's in an innocent context. If you have intentional overbilling or upcoding, uh, those kinds of issues that potential exposure, particularly with the, um, the penalties 
that could be applied to the organization. Um, you, you really have to be, as a board, you have to ensure that the, the billing functions, the accounting functions of your organization are completely compliant. And data security, uh, I think, is um, uh, going, it, we're, we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg on data security issues. Um, and uh, because of the nature of information that healthcare providers maintain, the, the amount of personal information, it's not just what your diagnosis is and what medications you're taking, but it's your name, address, maybe your likeness, maybe uh, um, your financial accounts if you pay with credit cards, um, um, your social security numbers. It's such a treasure trove of information that healthcare providers maintain that they are very rich targets for people who are you know, bent on uh, um, trying to access information in, improperly and steal it for nefarious purposes. So I would say those are probably the, the two biggest areas of concern for healthcare uh, boards in, in terms of compliance monitoring. Okay, thank you. So another question here, um, is it necessary for board members of healthcare organizations to have backgrounds and experience in healthcare operations? Uh, an, another great question, and it, because I, I think you could take from my remarks today that um, having that background um, may be um, essential, and, and I don't think it is. And in fact, um, it may be helpful to not have that background because it re you could be the person that asks a lot of questions and frankly gets the people who who are in healthcare on a day-to-day -day basis to think about things in a different way or to think about things they hadn't thought about before because they're immersed in it on a day-to-day -day basis and it doesn't raise any questions for them. So I would say that while it could be helpful to have a background in healthcare, um, because there, there's just so much terminology and um, uh, so many regulations that apply in healthcare that having some working knowledge of them may be an advantage. I would also say that having um, no involvement in that area could be very useful because it would you're learning and you're asking questions as you go, with the caveat that. If you don't have the the knowledge and background, the board needs to make sure that in its through its training or orientation or other um, educational opportunities made available to that board member that doesn't have that background, they can get up to speed and they can learn. So I think as long as the the training and the education is offered. Um, I, I don't think it's absolutely essential that that a member uh, of a board actually be well versed in in healthcare or work in the healthcare independently. Okay, great. Oh, okay, another great question here. Um, is it the board's responsibility to develop a healthcare organization's compliance plan, or is it is it legals, or is it the compliance department, or whose responsibility is it to develop the healthcare organization's plan? And all of the, <laughs> I think that the, the quick answer would be all of the above. Um, it, a, a compliance plan is a comprehensive um, uh, plan that 
should touch upon all major operations of the organization. And to do that, you really need input from all of those um, operations. From legal, you need to understand what the laws are that the organization has to comply with. From the compliance um, department, you need to understand what the resources are that are available and what the expectations are for the organization if non-compliant conduct is observed. From the board, remember at the outset we talked about that policy setting role of the board um, and a compliance plan is certainly uh, the type of high-level policy uh, and program that it, you're going to want to have the, the board's stamp of approval on. So I would characterize it really as a collaborative exercise that no one um, group should have sole responsibility for um, because, and I, I didn't even mention the senior management team and, and the leadership team and the role that they play. It's a really a collaborative uh, process to come up with the compliance plan and effective compliance plan for the organization. But that said, it's essential that the board understand the, com the compliance plan and apply it. Um, regularly and, and understand its role in relation to that compliance plan, whether it's the recipient of a report of non-compliant conduct and, re, you know, um, de depending on the nature of it, either referring that to the appropriate um, uh, department in the organization for investigation or depending on the nature of the allegation it may be something that has to be handled at the board level for example if you had a report that the CEO of an organization was engaging in uh, inappropriate conduct and that compliance report um, uh, a, a compliance report is made to the board, it may be that the investigation and follow-up of that particular issue has to happen at the board level because the board is the supervisor of the, the CEO. In other cases, it may be appropriate to refer that to the department of, uh, you know, the human resources function or the accounting function or, um, you know, an, another, uh, another IT, maybe the IT function in the organization. It really just depends on the nature the allegation, but the bottom line is the organization as a whole needs to be well versed in its compliance program and it needs to be a collaborative effort to, to put together a, re a really effective plan. Got it. Got it. Okay, here's a, um, an interesting question here. What are some key things a board should look for to assess whether an organization's compliance plan and culture are effective? Well, I, but that's a that's a broad question, but I think a, a, a couple of things um, that a, a board can look for, and one is in relation to reporting lines. Are you getting reports? You know, some organizations, as part of their compliance program, will have uh, uh, procedures to report concerns directly to the compliance department. Uh, or the chief compliance officer. Some organizations simply aren't that big to sustain a dedicated compliance officer. So they may have other types of compliance reporting structures. Some organizations may have 800 numbers where employees can report things anonymously. Um, and in any no number of combinations, a board should be looking at whether or not 
compliance reports are being made. It may be, if they're not, that you have a completely compliant organization, which is a wonderful thing. Or it could be that people don't understand their reporting structure and don't understand the ways that they could bring concerns forward. So a board should, um, I've used the term kick the tires. That mm -hmm. is certainly something a board should do is look at whether or not the reporting um, structures are known to the employees and known to your staff, known to your, your constituents, your patients, and are they being used? And if they're not being used and they're not, the, the compliance function is not getting reports, I don't think the board should necessarily rest on the assumption that, oh, we have a great comp wholly compliant organization. The board should examine whether or not the reporting um, structures or the reporting lines are appropriate for the organization or may need some tweaking. Um, a board should also um, make sure that it is educated enough in, in whatever ever realm to ask questions. Just taking reports verbatim and not questioning findings, whether they be in the financial realm or in the technology realm, um, that is not going to satisfy the board's obligation to uh, look behind the information that's being provided and, and ask questions is the board can't just simply accept a report and say, okay, we're done here. We've, we've, we've uh, completed our compliance responsibilities. You need to make sure that it makes sense. The information that, that you're receiving makes sense in the context that you're operating in. So those are a couple of things that, that come to mind. Great. Well, do you have any other uh, final thoughts for us or any other advice that maybe you've, you've thought of during the presentation? Well, I, I just think that uh, you can't underscore enough um, uh, the, the board's role in setting the tone for the organization. And the board being, being visible, being a clear and consistent voice on the importance of compliance to the organization will flow through the organization. If really effective organizations that have robust compliance plans, um, you uniformly see uh, activity and consistency at the board level in that compliance function. Right. Well, thank you, Jennifer, so much for um, presenting this to us today. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, thank you. And thank you so much, attendees, for joining us. Please use um, the contact information. Do you have a contact page there, actually, uh, Jennifer? There Thanks. we are. Okay, great. So um, attendees, you can use the contact information there. Um, don't forget, attendees, that you can uh, download this um, uh, presentation um, on the bottom right-hand side of your screen. Um, so you can have a copy of this. Um, so please use the contact information on the screen for any questions. Um, if you remember something later, you can send us questions and we'll forward them on also. Please remember your PACOM and PMI CEU certificate will be emailed to you from within two days following the broadcast. There's no need to request it. You'll get it automatically. You can register for future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 
four seven seven eight and thank you for joining us.